Welcome to the Marshall Pro Podcast and your Weekend IndyCar listener Q&A show. I want to say a big thanks to you all, as always, to our Day listener group that are, are just always fun and very supportive. If you have an interest in joining them, just send an email to prudayrocks at gmail.com, P-R-U-E-D-A-Y-R-O-C-K-S at gmail.com. It's a group of more than a hundred lovers of motor racing who all uh, have become friends we do some pretty fun stuff there uh we do some meetups at various events during the indycar season so yeah if you're looking for some new friends join a group of uh awesome folks who also do some let's say some pretty amazing charitable things too prude rocks at gmail.com might take a day or two for someone to get back to you but they will uh, bring you into the good old family also want to say a big thank you to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com for supporting all that we do. Last quick item to mention before we get to your questions, of which there aren't a ton, and I love that. Uh, I realize that many, 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 many of you have been listening for five, six years, however long, a number of years, and know the routine, was reminded by a couple of new-ish listeners, uh, maybe brand new listeners, said, hey, dummy, how exactly do we submit questions on a weekly basis? And I realized that I have failed massively in sharing that information on a regular basis. So let me just take a quick moment to say, usually every Monday or Tuesday on my at Marshall Pruitt Twitter handle, and then also that same Monday, Tuesday, right around the same time, on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. I will put out the call for questions, and it is there in the reply, the response, the comments to the call for questions on my Twitter handle and also on the podcast Facebook page where you see that call for questions. That's where you submit them. And then our good friend Jerry Siddeth goes and sees those because those are publicly available that's why i don't take questions by email or dm or otherwise because that's not something jerry can see jerry goes to my twitter page to the facebook page grabs all the questions sets them in an order that he thinks will make for a good show that takes 45 ish minutes to an hour and then the ones that he thinks maybe we can hold on to or maybe aren't quite what he was uh, thinking was a good fit those fall blind blind below the red line of death so anyways that's the process and i apologize i'll do a better job of mentioning how exactly to submit questions on a weekly basis so with that said let's get going this is another uh, couch recording episode which means we do our transition into the q a with It's still the dumbest thing ever, but it makes me laugh. Uh, Why don't we start a thread here, courtesy of our pal, the official Minister of Mirth of the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, that being the Lance Snyder, also a mighty fine SCCA volunteer, corner worker, track worker. Uh, I would urge you, if you have a desire to get involved in motor racing, not necessarily on the team side, but more on the uh, the weekend warrior operational side, reach out to Lance. 
Uh, we can always use more of the mighty, amazing volunteers who do indeed help make motor races happen as a, uh, as a volunteer corps. He says, with the renaming of Indy Lights into Indy NXT, will there be new demands on the drivers and teams? Will they have to cut a ring, uh, pit lane promo? Will there be entrance music and the pre-race festivities? Could race control be jumped by a faction or team? Uh, yeah, we're going to open the show talking about last week's Poop in the Punch Bowl, the renaming of the Indy Lights series to what Penske Entertainment wants us to refer to as Indy Next. So it's all caps NXT minus the E, but they want us to pronounce it like the E is there, even though it's not. Um, Even though there is a well-established ladder training series in the world used by the world wide entertainment group wwe called nxt as they have used for many years now and they don't refer to it as wwe next it's just nxt uh yeah hey nothing like using someone else's idea uh yeah i don't think unfortunately it's we're gonna have any pro wrestling crossover to the the top step of the American Junior Open Wheel Ladder System. But uh, there's a lot of questions here in this topic, so let's get through them one by one. Daniel Summersgill, our friend who puts together our Week in Sports Cars list of questions for Graham Goodwin and I. He says, could IndyCar face a potential lawsuit from the WWE over the use of the Indy NXT branding? Rang last week to ask, was not the recipient of a return call and then got a call today from the series on a different topic and while on the phone with the series i posed this question having been alerted to a trademark done by the wwe held by the wwe of wwe nxt and was told there should be no lawsuits whatsoever because IndyCar's lawyers took a look at it and said, hey, uh, we're all good with doing this on our own and just using the NXT portion of that, apparently. So, yeah, on that subject, I think we are all good. Where do we go next on your list of... (laughs) Where do we go next on your next NXT questiones? Uh, our pal Right Turn Lover says, why NXT? Uh, me not know. Um, uh, Sam White says, Marshall, would absolutely love to get your thoughts on the IndyCar NXT rebrand and what you know about the strategy behind it. Heard rumblings over the last year or so that Penske Entertainment wanted to draw a definitive and clear line between what they owned and the name of the thing they owned, and the stuff that they didn't own. This coming from, what, eight, nine years? I forget, however many years, uh, of Anderson Promotions running Indie Lights, having been asked by IndyCar under former leadership, one or two steps back, to take over Indie Lights uh, and run it on their behalf, to which they did. And... 
Indy Lights formed the top step of what we once referred to as the road to Indy. And again, Penske bought IndyCar. One of IndyCar's assets is the Indy Lights series. So that came along with the purchase. And they gave it a, what, a year, two years of Anderson Promotions continuing to run it. And then there was the formal plan to take it back starting in 2022, which they did. So it's important to know those things, Sam, because one of the immediate changes that Penske Entertainment made was cutting the Freedom 100 uh, Indy Lights race from the Indy 500 calendar. So that was not something that anybody wanted or appreciated outside, or nobody's appreciated that whatsoever. But that was the first major change, but that was about it. Then after getting into its first season of running Indy Lights, just continued to hear more and more that, hey, um, before too long, we're going to draw that clear line. And so what you got here, uh, the rebrand and the strategy were really a case of we own Indy Lights. Anderson Promotions owns everything else below Indy Lights in this ladder system. What we want to do is rename this. Uh, I've heard that the uh, lights portion of Indy Lights is really not something that went over well and didn't like the idea of it being thought of as less than or less in general. We also had a case where in the ladder system owned by Anderson Promotions, uh, there was one tier, that being Indy Pro 2000, that the Penske Entertainment Group felt might cause some confusion for folks. Well, wait a minute. You have Indy Lights, which seems like low-grade version, and then Indy Pro 2000, but Indy Pro, which sounds could be confused or misconstrued as a higher level of class when it's actually one step below. Uh, we want to provide clarity, and so However, the conversations took place with Anderson Promotions. The please don't use the name Indy in any of your class names uh, going forward. That took place. Anderson Promotions went to a strict USF naming convention for its three classes. Uh, USF Juniors, which they just launched in 2022. USF 2000, which has been around for a long time using that name, and then the switching of Indy Pro 2000 to USF Pro 2000. And so those are now the three tiers of the Anderson Promotions ladder, unrelated, unaffiliated with IndyCar in any way, shape, or form in terms of ownership uh, or administration. And now we have this new Indy NXT uh, so, yes, lights gone, uh, NXT here, IndyCar has also, slash Penske Entertainment, has taken the opportunity to convert Indy Lights, which had a capital I and a capital L, replace lights with NXT, all caps, and apparently while they were at it, uh, decided to take the Indy 
portion and upgrade those to capital letters as well. So in line with how they refer to themselves as an all-caps IndyCar organization, they have now aligned their training, top-tier training category in the same all-caps capacity, Indy NXT. Indy, yeah. Uh, I refuse to do the all caps with IndyCar, so that's why you'll see that changed uh, in anything that I file. And I've also decided I'm not going to do that with the Indy portion of uh, what we have here uh, with this replacement for Indy Lights name. So Indy will just be a capital I and then the rest lowercase. And NXT all caps because, yeah. So... Uh, that's the rebrand strategy. Differentiation. Don't want it to be thought of as light, less, anything else. No confusion with anything in terms of junior open wheel that they don't own. Anderson Promotions fixed all that with going to the USF Championships presented by Cooper Tires. Uh, Indy NXT. I think, is it by Firestone or present? I'm not sure if it's a buy or presented by, but yeah. So that's where this came from. Uh, I can tell you I've heard a little bit about the, how they ended up with Indy NXT and there might not have been global thumbs up on that being the best thing folks have ever heard of. Uh, I won't mention their names. But I can tell you that within a very short period of time of the Indy NXT rebrand going public and folks knowing about it, uh, I had some communications inbound from, let's just call them former Indy Lights champions uh, with some very non-complimentary things uh, about this move. And... I can tell you that uh, I have yet to hear from anyone in IndyCar or Indy Lights, which I'm going to have to take a little while to get used to referring to that to Indy NXT because having worked in Indy Lights for the first time, I think late 80s, early 90s, and called it Indy Lights for pretty much forever, unwinding decades of calling it Indy Lights, just, yeah, uh, Bear with me, please. Um, I have yet to hear a single person that has reached out or I have since communicated with say, awesome, that's great, everything we need. This was a fantastic rebranding and renaming. So, eh, uh, there you go. Uh, why don't we go to Adaptive Mom? How you doing there? Congratulations once again on winning that amazing, amazing prize from Camping World. Um, she says, hope you and your family are doing well as always. Well, thank you. I have Rocky sleeping over my right shoulder, so I'm being protected by little 11-pound fella here. Um, she says, seems as if a lot of money has been dumped into rebranding uh, the series to Indian XT, but the prize money has been significantly reduced, as we all know. Is it their hope that investing in a rebrand will grow the championship purse back to Iron Mount by possibly attracting more sponsors and investors? I I don't know. And here's why. If we change the conversation from IndyCar to NASCAR, 
we know that while the Xfinity series is without a doubt the second tier for NASCAR, it is the the highest level training category, if we want to call it that, for drivers before they head to Cup. It is a big, long-standing and well-established property in and of itself, uh, a frontline property. While it might not be the top of the NASCAR touring category pyramid, uh, you tell folks that there's a Xfinity race on TV or coming to their local track, and you're going to get very heavy response to it. Therefore, you get really high-quality TV ratings, and therefore you get very high-quality sponsors seen on a lot of the cars. Not all, but a lot of the cars. It's been a long time, probably since the 1990s, mid to late 90s, since that was the case with Indy Lights. It has gone through some iterations, Cart and Champ Car going away, the uh, former Indy Racing League's IPS Infinity Pro Series was really the only uh, uh, thing left standing. Indy Lights went away. The Atlantic Championship continued in its in its absence and produced some great drivers. But if we're talking the bigger, faster, closest to IndyCar type training categories, we have to look at what we've had with the Infinity Pro Series, rebranded as Indy Lights years upon years ago. It's been a shadow of what it once was at its big investment peak when you had, unfortunately, a lot of it was tobacco money, but uh, Marlboro was there, uh, Cool was there, Players was there, and beyond them, there are some other fairly decent sponsors taking part. It's just been a long time since Indie Lights was viewed or received or funded in that same way. So I just share that and try and give a little bit of the Xfinity compare and contrast because if Indie Lights were at a place where folks thought of it similar to an Xfinity, I think there'd be a, a decent chance of greater investment taking place series sponsors taking place um we don't really have one i know firestone's name is attached to indie nxt and i'm not downplaying what they're doing whatsoever but when you have that when that's what you have instead of a bigger name brand sponsor uh there's no sponsor for the engines for example those are, are mazda slash aer uh, advanced engine research four-cylinder turbos when mazda pulled its backing from the road to indy in what was that the end of 2018 i think uh those mazda commissioned and mazda badged engines uh just reverted back to unbranded like we used to have in the infinity pro series frankly um those were nissan uh, nissan v8s and when uh, Infinity uh, pulled its support, well, those just became generic V8 engines. Um, there's a lot of opportunity here. Just no one's really acted upon it. Will changing the name 
all of a sudden get folks to spend money i don't i'd love to hear that that's the case but if that's all it takes like hey indycar change your name to indycar nxt uh because man there's going to be a huge windfall of money coming in um there's going to be a bigger grid next year for sure even though folks now know that boy there isn't anything like the advancement prize that we once had waiting for you uh but there's health coming to the series during the upcoming season will that last beyond 2023 don't know how much will the 58 percent cut in advancement prize how will that affect 2024 grid knowing that a lot of folks already committed, already signed contracts for 2023 before they were aware of um, this big negative change. I don't know. So just as we know that IndyCar, through its leader circle contract for its teams, is something that folks know we need more money, it's costing more, where can the series help contribute more to its paddock? Just as IndyCar has that need for the top series, we can obviously say that same need exists for the uh, um, top of the ladder system that they also happen to own. If a company says they're willing to invest $5 million into one of the two Penske Entertainment uh, open wheel series, I think you'd have a hard time uh, talking to your IndyCar team owners saying, hey, yep, we had a, a pretty good sponsor come along that said they want to be involved, but uh, that's not going to you. We decided to send that to Indy Lights as a new sponsor there. Um, I don't know how realistic that is. So I'm still trying to figure out how this rebrand is anything other than a vanity thing. Uh, the real business end to it yeah um if it's leading to new prosperities i guess i need to go find out how where when etc all that is taking place andrew miller you asked about the uh, reception to this new series name in the paddock covered that off already here let's see what else can we jump into that might be amusing uh we're gonna shift gears with our pal Zach Dean. I think that's the official sound of changing gears. Uh, he says, Hey MP, do you think the new IMSA GTP cars could be close to IndyCar at tracks where they both race? Say Long Beach, uh, Road, America, and whatnot. You say, if they are close in speed, do you think it will speed up the hybrid development in IndyCar at all? Ah. Uh, this is very much of a wait and see unfortunately zach i know from some of the feedback i got from the most recent gtp test uh endurance runs being done at sebring here just last week uh have heard from a couple of folks that in terms of anticipated pace the acuras were <clears throat> wickedly fast way faster than expected that being said they still tend to be many seconds off of indycar i 
I don't know if we're going to see much of a change, though, when we get to IndyCar (coughs) and their move to hybrids, knowing that it also comes with a pretty sizable increase in weight. So the difference, IndyCar's electronic horsepower boost is meant to be about 60 horsepower more than the, the IMSA GTP cars. There's about 40 horsepower spec coming to uh, the GTP cars when they get that boost. IndyCar is meant to be about 100 horsepower. I guess uh, uh, another quick little thing to mention here. In terms of hybrid development, what IMSA teams are receiving from Bosch and Williams is spec. There's nothing with the actual energy recovery system for them to monkey with, improve, uh, and play around with. Same thing with the ERS system. IndyCar teams are supposed to be getting from Mali. These are locked down. Um, The only areas that I know where, uh, on the IMSA side, manufacturers are allowed to play, that is in the software. That is in the controls side of how uh, the ERS systems work and uh, are engaged and disengaged and right so software is the area where they can play from the last conversation i had with indycar that was not an area that they were going to let chevy or honda get into truly a plug-and-play spec system if that remains that way uh yeah um I I don't know if there's going to be any real way for there to be significant development taking place in both series while the racing seasons are going, um, unless IndyCar joins IMSA in the ability for its manufacturers to do do the same kind of thing like both Honda Performance Development and uh, GM slash Chevy Racing slash Cadillac Racing will be doing in IMSA. So yeah, um, both will be learning lots of great things this coming season in IMSA. As for availability through the rules for them to distill that and make their systems operate better in different unique ways in IndyCar... Yeah, we'll have to see if uh, if the rules change and allow them to do that. Uh, Casey Coolidge, how you doing, Casey? You uh, you say, Marshall, instead of another, why don't we go to this country to race question? I'll word this in a different way. More people showed up to watch the uh, Hunkos Hollinger racing demo with Augustin, uh, Augustin Canapino and do some demo laps last weekend at the uh, Buenos Aires GP track. Um, then we had show up for Marcus Erickson to hold his trophy, which had about 8,000 people. You say, with this largely untapped surge and international interest in mind, what led to the loss of the international venues that were on the calendar? Um, You you say as well, also, uh, Canapino is doing a lot of heavy lifting for Hunkos. Will we see him on the grid next year? Keep hearing. Uh, He is truly under serious consideration to uh to be in that second car but i know that uh, funding for it is something that they still have to resolve yeah 
the the demo run that they did um, told somewhere between fifteen sixty thousand people with that number seventy seven Chevy uh, running, and there just seemed to be wild wild interest in it. Spoke with Ricardo Juncos today, who mentioned that there were still people trying to get into the facility two hours after uh, Canapino did his uh, did his run. So yeah, that's huge. There is a very passionate fan base for motor racing in Argentina. I would think a very well-known champ, super many, many times over champion in Canapino. And its first son, Ricardo Juncos, um, having achieved great success in America, coming back as part of a well-known IndyCar racing series, I would think that would do quite well. What are the costs, though? And that's the answer to the question. What are the costs? Hey, why don't we go to Brazil anymore? Very simple answer. The sponsors willing to spend the money to air freight cars um, and equipment and basically pay a lot of money for everybody to show up and put on a race, that's the thing that has thinned and waned. Um, That's why I, yeah... Like a race in Mexico, that would be very easy. Um, Just as easy as racing in Canada, right? We're not air freighting anything. We're driving, driving across a border, holding a motor race and going back home. You start looking at Argentina. I'm not saying you can't drive from Indianapolis or wherever teams are based down to kind of sort of close to the tip of uh, South America, but it is a long distance. So who is going to fund putting a lot of uh, large and heavy things into air transport? Who's going to pay for international air quote international travel? I still don't think of going to like Argentina or Brazil as quote international, but I know it's referred to in IndyCar as international travel. Um, these are the things that make going somewhat close like that to Australia, to the UK, Japan, um, wherever it might be, that would be amazing to go, uh, even if there's huge, huge levels of fandom there, uh, what is the price of that fandom? And the simple answer is way more than IndyCar or a most promoters are willing to spend so yeah um i'd love for that to happen i'd love uh love to be on a plane to wherever to go support indycar i just don't know if that's going to happen again anytime soon just to add to that casey to close the ambition with indycar to do this to send everything on planes it is really low, like really, really low. I think the only thing that would uh, would change that is if some crazy entity decided to offer money at a level that makes zero sense. Um, whatever region of the world where there might be an interest in IndyCar, where there maybe aren't other major racing organizations showing up, uh, whether it, whatever the country's primary form of uh, of income happens to be if there's an excess of money someplace and at minimum an FIA grade 2 circuit that exists 
those are the only spots I can think of that would uh, have enough money to pay to get 25, 27, 28 IndyCar entries over, down, or wherever else to play. Uh, let's see. Where do we go next? Ed Joris asking, uh, Penske is not spending any money on IndyCar, and the big idea this year seems to be using cooler names for support series. Uh, when a company cuts expenses and stops investing in new ideas, say new cars, new races, gaming, etc., it can be a sign that the company is making itself look prettier for potential investors. Have you heard anything about IMS or IndyCar being for sale or looking for new investors? Have not, Ed. Um, I will admit, and I've had this thought for a little while, I've just kept it to myself, but <sighs> until or unless we hear about some pretty serious new plans from Penske Entertainment to invest uh, a lot of money into IndyCar, not IMS, uh, but IndyCar itself, new car, new engine manufacturer to join the other three, partnering with them, uh, new marketing arrangements, companies hired, something that is declarative that IndyCar knows it's getting its ass handed to it by its rivals uh, in terms of new ideas, new everything, energy and buzz and fans until there is some sort of thing that tells me Penske Entertainment is facing reality and is no longer telling itself lies that everything's awesome and amazing and just, hey, to everyone around us, all the ones we're fighting against are possessing much bigger ammunition than we have. Until that recognition happens and we start hearing about, hey, okay, yeah, we got a major investment. Um, we're going to do a variety of things to help get IndyCar back to where it should be in terms of awareness, popularity, etc. cetera. Uh, I'm going to be of the mind that IndyCar would be better served in someone else's hands. Um, it's just a fact. All the great newish things that have happened over the last five, six, seven years. Those have been the creation, the ideas coming out from Jay Fry. The Pretty much everything that we've seen happen that we would consider to be a positive uh, since about 2018. These have all been ideas he has had, ideas brought to him that he has supported, things that have received in the past from Holman George family. Uh, to do and we get new fuel next year synthetic fuel be the first major racing series uh, in the u.s and i think pretty much anywhere to do that um, that's amazing like it really is that's a huge thing it's one of those things unfortunately that not enough people are gonna know about or care about like there's nobody that's gonna like hey hey friend uh i know you you like sports. Guess what's going to happen tomorrow? There's going to be a motor race where synthetic fuel is used. Do you want to tune in and watch it with me? Like, there's going to be no examples of that. And the friend going, oh my goodness, yes, I'm going to stop everything so I can watch cars kind of do the same thing I would expect in a motor race of going quickly and, and stuff. But I know that somewhere 
inside of that car, there's a very unique form of fuel. And that in and of itself is going to make me care about this series that I've never cared about before. Like, that's not going to change anything in terms of fans. Could that change something on the industry side? Get some additional auto manufacturers maybe having an interest in taking part in the series? Now that's a place that could happen. Or that's a thing that could, could happen. But in and of itself... New synthetic fuel, not a game changer in terms of, and the series is now five times as popular, see? 2024, we go to these hybrid engines. That should be very cool as well. New for IndyCar, way old for everyone else. I mean, IMSA's late to that as well, but they'll be on track a year earlier than IndyCar. And... I think as I wrote somewhat recently in the Racer Mailbag, uh, the first, I shouldn't say the first, there's, go back to the 90s and you have some uh, hybrid prototypes and or projects that were hybrid. But if we think about actual racing with the same exact thing, uh, just a lower powered version of what we're going to have in IndyCar and even IMSA, uh, that was back in 2008. Like when lmp1 prototypes hybrid full hybrid then obviously uh that came into formula one a little bit that was a huge part of the fi world endurance championship lmp1 um just saying it's great that we're doing this it is something that at least one of the two manufacturers in indycar said must happen for them to commit to this new formula it's still just an old topic i i hate to say it but it's a bit like saying, hey, have you heard there's this thing called MP3s? Hey, I, from what I understand, you no longer need to buy compact discs. There's this thing called digital music. Like, this is kind of that, where you go, yeah, okay, um, they, and yeah, you, there's this thing called, um, like, SoundCloud? You could be a SoundCloud rapper, um. Hey, there's this iTunes thing. There's all kinds of things where you can stream music and don't have to buy a physical copy of that music to hold in your hands. Like That's kind of where IndyCar's at, getting into hybrids. Where, like, hey, great, glad to hear you, you're joining the rest of us. But the rest of us have been here for quite a while. I'm not trying to downplay this too much. I just can't avoid telling you the reality that even what's coming that's new and unique for IndyCar in 2024 we're just late so all these things happened under Jay Fry and the former owners watch so once those things happen there's really nothing left that I know of that's on the menu that's interesting that's a differentiator for IndyCar Um, and so until we hear and i don't know how much longer we're gonna have to wait or if we're just never gonna hear it i don't know but where's the state of the series address from indycar from the ownership side right where's the the owners saying here's our vision for indycar here's the future this is where we're going we've got these new this new fuel coming next year we got new engines and hybridization in 2024 great 
what's the goal beyond that? Because once those things happen, at this moment, Ed, there's nothing else in the pipeline. Um, I've asked. There's nothing there. I mean, there's ideas, but there's truly nothing else. A new chassis, that's not a future strategy. That's just, right, hey, uh, this is a high-mileage clunker sitting out in the driveway. We need to go to the dealership and get something new. Again, I'd hope the new car would look amazing and, and just be inspiring and have folks say, oh, my gosh, i got to go see this in person. That'd be, a, that'd be fantastic. But it would be the umpteenth new chassis in IndyCar over the last hundred and however many plus years. So what's the goal? Who are we? What are we trying to do? Are we going to go half electric by 2030, right? If, it, if we're aiming at 1,000 horsepower, is, it, is the goal to get to 500 uh, electric ponies and then reduce the internal combustion engine contribution to 500? Um, is it to go to do X amount of laps under full electric charge? Is it to develop... ERS systems and competition, something that is absolutely not part of this new hybrid plan that's going to roll out in 2024 at least. Uh, Are we trying to set new track records at Indianapolis? Are we trying to, again, I don't know. What is it? Every series has something. What are we going to try and be here in the future? So until I get some clarity on that, Ed, um, and who knows if that's going to happen. I'm going to be asking myself uh, this question I've been asking myself quite a bit in recent months, which is, is it possible we are actually in worse shape than we were compared to what the previous owners were willing to do to invest in the series and take it to new and interesting places? Uh, Doogie Davies, uh, MP with the new Acura LMDH car, using the engine drive from HPD's next-generation IndyCar motor. Does it make sense for IndyCar to reach out to another manufacturer contemplating an LMDH slash GTP project and help them develop the project that would then allow them to be an engine supplier for IndyCar? Um, Could be a long shot. Doogie, yes, I would say that's a long shot. Hey, we've heard you might be wanting to get into IMSA's new GTP class. As an open-wheel racing series, can we work with you to make your engine something that could also play in our series that would be an epic thing to pull off um i love the idea and the ambition behind it oh i just don't know how that would happen from a functional standpoint um maybe piggybacking on ed's some of what Ed was uh, opining about or mentioning. I mean, this new 2.4 liter twin turbo V6 formula, it is something that Chevy and Honda agreed upon. The All facets of it are agreed upon. The days of IndyCar writing a new set of engine regulations and then just hoping or expecting its current manufacturers will fall in line with it and others will show up and be attracted to it to participate very long gone. Uh, the rules that you will see here for 2024 are 100% done in a collaboration with Chevrolet and Honda. Um, but do we need to think about that? Do we need to 
face reality and say we've had the 2.2 liter formula since 2012 we realized we started off with three manufacturers lotus one of them left after the first year and since then um there have been a lot of conversations a lot of folks knocking on our door us knocking on a lot more doors unable to convert a single one to join us under the 2.2 liter okay well we're going to go to something bigger more powerful um nobody responded to that to the 2.4 and then with the insistence uh from honda performance development there was the addition of the hybrid uh the ers system to make it a hybrid announced one year after the uh, 2.4 liter formula was initially brought to the world and since then not a single manufacturer has signed on so again i'm not trying to turn this into the super negative hour i'm just telling you what it is if we look at the timing of when the hybridization was announced in 2019 i think i believe it was may month of may um you wind the clock forward to 2020 may of 2020 that's one year may of 2021 that's two 2023 it's going to be four how many years will have gone by since hybridization more modern approach to racing and engines and promotions was made by indycar where zero manufacturers have said yep this is for us we're in um we'll see you there um this is the troubling part and so yes i love the idea of trying to find a new inbound gtp manufacturer and how could we get in with them and say hey by the way well, why don't you do a, a 2.4 liter and you could come play with us too basically make an indycar motor like acura did and then just repurpose it uh, with a lot of necessary endurance related changes for imsa i just wonder if we need to accept reality here and say since honda and chevy in whatever it was like october of 2010 uh, announced they would be joining or this new turbo formula in 2012 and lotus right around the same time um by the time we go hybrid in 2024 i don't i don't know the exact alignment of years so i apologize but since this initial 2.2 liter formula was announced in whatever again it was 2010 i think we will have gone what 14ish years since a new manufacturer has signed on to participate in indycar that's a long time y'all that that's like a david malukas minus what five or six years like just think about that there's nothing wrong with this current 2.2 liter formula or the upcoming 2.4 hybrid formula but if you had to judge the success based on interest from auto manufacturers to come into the series you'd have to say that there is something lacking clearly something lacking because there is nobody nobody that is serious about coming into play so uh, 
I love the creativeness of your idea, Doogie. Oh, boy. I just wonder if, uh, even though we have a new formula coming, if there needs to be a little bit of a, huh, should we change things a little bit? Um, our pal Oscar Love asks, uh, why why is it impossible to get a third manufacturer? Yeah, um, I'm with you. I don't fully understand. Uh, I mean, I understand many of the reasons why. Um, but yes, there's, there's some pretty serious stuff here that's a problem. Uh, maybe it is time to reconsider something uh what is it going to take to get a third and fourth manufacturer in um if that isn't frontline on the daily problem the daily problems to solve uh boy i'd be very concerned why don't we close here with a couple of quick questions and i still have a uh last chance questions lcq episode from last week to try and knock out here so i will do my best as soon as i can uh amy cooks for brad gonna table yours for hopefully uh that lcq one as well jamie carr asking what candy should be given to uh, podium finishers you know i bet they would actually love it like that big burst of sugar after all, all they're depleting uh but i mean i think naturally husky chocolate right i mean come on um just some mike you say do you think a popular f1 shoe like fernando alonso or a popular F1 whipping boy like uh, Queen Latifi coming to IndyCar and winning, particularly the 500, would be a good thing or detrimental. I feel like the optics would be damaging. Um, Fernando winning, no. World champion two times over, known as one of the greatest drivers alive. Uh, no at all. Guys, obviously, again, double world champion, also a Le Mans winner. Him winning at Indy. I think that would fit a very nice narrative for his talents. Latifi coming over, I would have zero concerns about this guy winning a motor race. Um, Last place guy in F1 uh, does not become front-running winner in IndyCar. There's a talent thing that, yeah, uh, talent transfers. Whatever you got there is what you got here. And IndyCar ain't easy. Uh, IndyCar is way tougher than Formula One in terms of competing at the front. Uh, So, yeah, could I see the guy in a top car? Um, You know, being the occasional acquirer of a sixth-place finish, seventh or otherwise, sure. But when you run through the names of all the drivers he would have to get through, uh, his teammates on whatever team he might be at, like... You know, yeah. Uh, Fred, no problem. Latifi, ain't happening. Uh, Stitch Turner, say, what is Tom German up to? Aside from not building to it as an ex-Indycar engine, any chance it gets lured back to a team? I don't know. Haven't asked. Uh, Last thing I understood, he was pretty happy uh, in his role with Toyota and what they're doing in NASCAR and such. Um, Tom's also known... As a, let's just say that Tom is a very passionate person, and like my friend uh, and French fry Sebastian Bourdais, despite his excellence and their excellence, not always the easiest person to work with. So, yeah, um, I don't know how many teams would be 
going after Tom, but I would tell you, uh, regardless of whether he's the easiest guy to work with or not, I've never had an issue with him. I'm just saying that reputationally, um, that's the reputation. Um, boy, uh, I would imagine there'd be a lot of folks in IndyCar willing to throw a ton of money his way to get him onto their timing stand because that guy's just really good at his job. Um, I'm going to close here with two questions from our dear friend the all caps mama underscore g-force uh but the the caps part the uh, that would be cassie johnston and also our pal srt nick 12 cassie your first one so let's talk about tony canon's team switch that's a whole lot of indy 500 experience that air mclaren sp is adding and chip ganassi racing is losing i'm generally generally curious what skills tk brings to a team both in and out of the car uh, and if you think TK's departure leaves any holes at Ganassi for the 500, oh, I absolutely do. And it's not like they're massive holes, right? It's not as if the, t- I mean, Dixon's been on pole there many times, come close to winning more than just in 2018, uh, 2008, I should say, uh, multiple times. There's, you know, Alex Pillow obviously runs super well there. Marcus just did not too bad, but um, there is a very blunt and direct. Uh, way that Tony is super helpful. And blunt and direct doesn't have to be bad. It's just a no BS kind of thing where you can get some teams that allow uh, their interactions and debriefs with their drivers to go kind of on and on and wander in a lot of directions and a lot of theory and what ifs and maybes. Tony's vast experience and success uh, really does allow him to say, nope, tried this doesn't work we need to go over here uh hey i'm having this problem with the car okay great this thing we tried a couple times at some of the teams i've been at and when we went in this direction that was amazing when we went over here it wasn't um i would strongly recommend trying the the first instead of the second option i just mentioned there's just a I've been doing this for way too long to fart around uh, and, and wander through all kinds of silliness when I know what works and what doesn't. So that's a huge addition. Now, granted, Dixon's been Dixon's done a lot more Indy 500s than Canon, but um, there's just a way that he goes about things that I would say is highly beneficial. There's a second part, too, which is really unique to him, and that is... Uh, he's always in a educational and mentoring mindset. And so, you know, Polo, by what 2022 had done, 2500s, done very well in them, but still tons to learn. Who's right there happy to share and educate? Uh, that would be Tony Kanon. Marcus Erickson, same thing. Done, you know, a few more than Polo, but still plenty to learn. And Jimmy Johnson credits him as well. Uh, for just being a huge, huge help. So I would say when I look at the Air McLaren SP team, I mean, hey, (laughs) they weren't too far away from winning the race this year with Pato. Felix did super well. Montoya had a good run. Uh, They're adding in Rossi, who we know is stellar around that place. And then you just take someone like Kanan, who has all that stuff to bring. Now, the one thing I would add that will be interesting for me to follow here, Cassie with Tony, is this. Pato's got enough confidence for you and I and about half the population of Earth. Not somebody who's 
super accustomed to being instructed, told how to do something better. Felix, I think, uh, would be maybe a little more open there. He's, you know, got a pretty sharp approach to things, too. A lot of confidence as well. With someone like an Ericsson, personality-wise, who is pretty mellow that way. Polo, who is super mellow that way, right? We know how good he is, but he is of the mindset that, oh my goodness, I don't know anything. Um, super receptive to a Tony Kanon. Tony, as we know, is very funny, but he's also a pretty strong character, pretty strong personality. How will Pato and Felix react to Uncle Tony, maybe giving them the business a little bit about how to do something or how not to do something or how they might change something that they're doing? How are they going to react? I hope with open arms, they're slightly different personalities than the ones who just absorbed all they could at Ganassi and benefited massively from it. Uh, SRT Nick, you say the podcast have been really good lately. Well, thank you. I'll keep when you say keep it up. Thanks. I guess they sucked before, but uh, I will do my best. You say it's looking like Linus Lindqvist might not make the grid in 2023, assuming he does not. What is the best career path for him going forward? Uh, should he go to IMSA or Super Formula? Yeah, uh, I have heard that there and wrote that there is renewed interest in trying to see if he might be able to f- slot into that second car at Dale Coin Racing. Uh, I know that he still needs a budget to make that happen, but uh, there are rumors, see, see, rumors that IndyCar might have some newfound interest in trying to help a little bit there. Um, Whether that comes to fruition or not, way too early to tell, but uh, I'm hoping uh, hoping something happens there. Um, But I would say the odds are still pretty long. So assuming he does not, uh, I'm aware of one amazing IMSA team that is very interested in him. Um, rang, I don't know, month and a half ago uh, to ask for some input on him and uh, was then happy to learn that they called, based on that input, called him the next day and said, hey, let's see if we can do something um, in whatever capacity, even if you do end up going, you know, being able to go to IndyCar. quick thing to close here nick um going to imsa is great if he can do that and be paid and have that happen either in a factory team of which there are some in the what two-ish to three of the five categories uh but the the best thing for him if indycar is not on the cards for next year would be to be would be to be in a gtp team uh top class fastest class the most badass drivers that's a place where his talent would stand out and folks go oh, jesus yeah okay uh <laughs> we gotta get this guy into indycar now that we've seen him go slice it up and kick butt there uh if it's in the gt ranks there are factory opportunities there but that's where careers can go to die because while G- I love gt racing for indycar team owners they don't even know it exists for the most part um they don't even look it's a place where you just get buried so super formula i would say similar things um if we're talking about a future in america going to super formula yeah 
going away and then racing open wheel elsewhere, you know, I would say the the unless he becomes the champion, that might only complicate things for him to come back and still be considered. Um, most IndyCar team owners are very fickle. They want to see you. They want you in front of them. They want to see that you're doing big, amazing things. Even if they don't choose you or hire you, the thought of you going somewhere else and racing in a, the lower categories like IMSA and GT type stuff, um, again, if that's what were to happen, if something in GTP didn't open up, or just leaving and being gone and we don't see you, and hey, I hate to say it, but pretty much no IndyCar team owners that I'm aware of are really following Super Formula, uh, those things could be problematic. Uh, we're going to close here back with our pal Cassie Johnston, Mama G Force, saying, Hey, I rewatched the 2019 Indy 500 this week, and it got me wondering if there's been any discussion about banning Simon Pagano's serpent move. You say, I hate to over officiate the race, but that move sure does make a last lap pass basically impossible with the current aero configuration. You and I are on the same exact page here, sister. Uh, we saw Marcus repeat that this year. Uh, I don't know if it was as aggressive as some of Simon's moves, but clearly inspired by Simon's weaving back and forth on the straights. Um, you could say it was to break the aerodynamic toe, but at the same time, yeah, uh, you are really not making a pass uh, possible unless someone wants to agree to wreck going for the lead and then be really happily surprised if it doesn't happen. Um, I don't know if that is something that IndyCar would rule against, but I do need to recall or remind myself to ask that of uh, either Kyle Novak, race director, or Jay Fry, because I'm with you. Um Look, if you have come out of turn two on the, quote, high line, close uh, close to the wall on exit, I mean, you're the leader. In theory, you can place your car wherever you want, but um, I wonder if we think about some sort of last five laps rule or whatever, you know, I don't know if that's the perfect spot, last two laps, whatever, that says, hey, you're the leader, you can move your car as you like. You've got half the track to do that, though. Um, you can get, you can move to the middle of the track, but no more. And if you want to weave to the middle and then back to the right and then back to the middle and back, cool. You going from the right side of the track all the way to basically the, uh, the painted line next to the grass on the left and then all the way back to the, like, no. Um, I don't perceive that nor do I think any reasonable person would perceive that as trying to break an aerodynamic toe. That is blocking at its finest. And yeah, uh, you want to do a little wiggling? Cool. I'll give you half the track, but no more. That's the thing I'd love to see. I don't know if I'd call that over-officiating. It's just removing silly cartoonish stuff that basically ruins any chance for the race to finish in a competitive heat. Uh, so I'm with you. I'm going to try and remember to ask that question. And uh, if I do, I will try and remember to drop it in here. Hey, y'all. 
Thanks again for all the questions you sent in. Try and get an LCQ episode done here with what I still have left over from last week. And then, who knows, uh, I'll take a look and see the ones that didn't make the cut and uh, determine if any of those are worthy of chucking in uh, to that episode as well. Say a big thank you to y'all once again. Look for questions. The call for questions next Monday slash Tuesday on at Marshall Pruitt on Twitter and also the Marshall Pruitt Podcast Facebook page. If you want to join the Day listener group and talk about racing and the podcast or not the podcast or life or Thanksgiving recipes or whatever with a group of uh, pretty awesome racers, send that email to prudayrocks at gmail.com. All right, y'all, thank you once again. Thanks to Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and TorontoMotorsports.com. I'll speak to you here very soon.